who's in control. That's our theme for the next few weeks. We'll be talking about who's in control. Um, So in the face of relentless and persistent evil, who's in control? Do you know what I mean by relentless and persistent evil? Do you understand what relentless and persistent evil looks like? It's the sound of your sister playing music continuously just to annoy you and not stopping. It's relentless, it's persistent, and it gets you. (laughs) It's something that's there continuously and it's just bearing down on you and you feel it in the, the core of you. You feel the evilness of the whole thing and it's just relentless. It doesn't stop. It's like no matter where you go. So it's like, it's like what's happening in our society now, it's like going out and it's like everywhere you look, there's something that's assaulting your senses and trying to lure you into sin or trying to drag you into deception or trying to present something to you that you know is nothing to do with God. It's relentless. It doesn't stop. It's persistent. It's continuous. And it's evil. Who's in control when that's taking place? When everything goes against you and you just want to die, you've reached the part in your life where you say, you know what, I've had enough now. This is it. This is it. I'd rather die than just keep on living now. And you have a death wish. Anybody have a death wish here? Sometimes I get a death wish. I don't have a death wish today. Maybe tomorrow, you know, I might get a death wish, but not today. I don't have a death wish today. Who's in control when things are so bad you just want to die? You just want to die. What about when goodness is corrupted and injustice abounds? No, once upon a time we used to say, you could look at things, he's a good man, and we'd get that all confused in our minds because people, but when we look out there now, it's like everything is so corrupt, everything is so disgustingly deceptive, everything is so evil. And we listen to things, we listen to the news, we listen to music and we, we hear the lyrics and we just, our guts goes, oh, like that. And it's just, there's no justice in our world. There's no sense of right or wrong. It's just completely obliterated. Who's in control when this is happening? So every generation that we know experiences wickedness and awfulness in, a, in, an, in an incredible sense. If you go back 50 years, you go back maybe more than 50 years, if you go back maybe 90 years, you would have the Second World War. That was pretty horrible. That was pretty gross. You had the Vietnam War after that. That was pretty disgusting. You had Pol Pot killing millions and millions of people in, in, um, where was that? It wasn't Vietnam. Was it Vietnam? Yeah. Pol Pot, Vietnam? Vietnam? Cambodia. It's just disgusting, you know, and, and, and then, we, then we hear about ISIS and what ISIS is doing now. Every generation, if you go back and you keep on going back, every generation seemed to have its load of wickedness. And in our society today, it's getting worse, not better. To a degree, Australia is kind of in a little bubble, if you like, because we, we don't get to see the gross things that other countries so we see them on the news we see stuff happening on the news but we really don't see the gross evil stuff pouring out over us like vomiting over us as it is in other places but we do see it getting worse and worse so what do we do when this is happening 
Um, Noel sent a, a newsletter out. Some of you might have received it. And we talked about the Safe um, Schools Coalition uh, in, um, in Victoria. It's a, um, a program that the state schools are running in Victoria, Safe School School. It's meant to be... Well, Nationwide, I know, they, but they, they, they've implemented it in Victoria now, I think. I don't know whether it's in every, every other place. But 497 schools. So it's come under the banner of anti-bullying. You know, you shouldn't bully kids, you know, because that's the big... But it really what it is is the ruse for teaching children about sexual fluidity. That's the latest statement, sexual fluidity. Which means that when you're under the age of 12... You can just be fluid with regard to sexuality. There is no sexual identity. There's no male nor female. It's whatever you choose it to be, whenever you choose it to be. And there is no governing rule about what it is to be a boy or what it is to be a girl. If you wanted to be a girl and you're a boy, you know, you can just change your idea and front up to school with a dress on, go to the girls' toilets, and there you have it, you know. No one's going to say anything to you. They'll all be nice to you and tolerate that. That's fine, and that's anti-bullying, and you should be nice to people who are really confused. In fact, you can change in sexual fluidity. You can change your desire from being heterosexual to bisexual to homosexual, to transsexual, to intersexual, each day of the week, and it's okay. Because whatever your heart desires, that's what you have the freedom to do. And that's the basic gender idea. Whatever you want to do, there are no boundaries. And then it talks about heterosexual relationships that's between a man and a woman, Heterosexual relationships as being heteronormal or they're saying that's a binary abusive system and they, they put it down because it pushes people into what they say is a role that they shouldn't have to be forced into. You say, well, this is pretty disgusting. I didn't know that. That was in the safe school program. Well, it is in the safe school program and that's what they're pushing through the thing and it's, they're saying we're secular we're a secular society, so they're pushing this uh, disgusting program through because they think, you know, we're secular. This is the way it is. Society's evolving. Everything's changing. Everything's growing into something different. So we're evolving. And we don't want Christianity and we don't want religious education in schools because that's from the old. We wipe that out and we bring in this new. So that's happening now. They're going to spend another $1.4 million bringing that in, in stronger in the schools. That's in Australia now. So you could just take that down the road another 20 years and you can imagine the confusion that is going to abound in our society when you've set that as the premise for sexual identity. The confusion that you're going to have in young people's minds who dabbled in all kinds of things because you're allowed to. Now, I thought I loved animals. You can't tell me I can't. I can do whatever I want. I love handbags. That's where it goes. It becomes fetishes and all kinds of craziness that mess up your head. And our society, our young people are going to be completely confused. 
with regard to what's right, what's wrong, what's normal, what's not normal. And they're going to be looking for answers. And our society is going to keep on telling them, just do whatever you want. That's what's happening in our society. Yeah, that's our society's trouble and that's our society's pain. That's our society's difficulty. You say, well, we're not in ISIS. We're not getting our heads chopped off. No, you're not. But there's an assault on. And even if you don't feel the pain of it, your children will be feeling the pain of it. And you'll have to confront it sooner or later because the society in which you live is hurtling down the drain. We get a repeated statement over in your worldwide uh, readings. Uh, we've been reading through First and Second Kings. You're probably up now around about Second Kings around about, you know what, is it 13 or 14 or maybe a little bit further? And this, this phrase keeps on coming out. It says, he did evil in the eyes of the talking about the kings. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, and committed the same sins his father, and caused Israel to, had, had, his father had caused Israel to commit. And it's sort of like a recurring idea. 26 kings and 26 evil responses. 26 kings from Judah and, uh, and from Israel and 26 of them all following the ways of their wicked fathers and increasingly the, taking Israel into more and more wickedness, worshipping Baal gods, worshipping Asherah poles, worshipping all kinds of things, God of Moloch and sacrificing children and doing all the things that God told them not to do, but plummeting down the road and taking a whole generation of people along with them down that road as well. It becomes incessant. They... They face the same challenges, really, that we face. And we really are the same as those kings. You know, if you look at it, each one of us has a domain in which we rule. That domain in which we rule is usually our own personal lives. And we decide in our own personal lives whether we will do the sins of our father, the devil, or whether we will follow the guidance of our father, our heavenly father. We make those choices every day. And those choices are not choices that affect only ourselves. They're choices that affect people that are around us. So as a a father and as a mother, as Jenny, if we decide that we're going to live half-hearted for God and and, and compromise our lives for God, that would ripple down into the lives of our children and it would ripple down into the lives of their children. And and pretty soon down the road you'd find that they'd be doing the same wicked things that we would be doing and, and the whole thing would fall in to a heap on the ground. So we had choices. I mean, we're like them because we have the same choices to make that they had to make. And we have the same challenges that they have to make. We have to choose between God and his word. And we have to choose between the devil and his. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and you can read it along with me if you like, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, we, we use this verse a lot, and I, and I think it's necessary that we remind ourselves a lot about this. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of, of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Our world is a world of sensual pleasure. Our society is called hedonistic. It means pleasure-seeking. 
So whatever is pleasurable, that's what our society usually holds up as the greatest good. The greatest good is the pleasure. Obedience to God is not as important as pleasure, having some pleasurable time. In fact, if I had to choose between pleasure and obeying God, I think that my flesh would want to have pleasure. And that if I can... If I'm a Christian and I'm sitting in a a Christian sphere and I'm thinking, well, what do I choose here? Well, I can choose to have pleasure and be deceptively in front of everybody and say, I'm just doing this on the side. Or I can choose God and say, I've got to say no to myself. I've got to say no to the pleasure because there's a greater good here. The good is to follow God. The good is to be obedient rather than to have pleasure. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of God in this, but denying its power. And he says, have nothing to do with these people. Just pretty serious, isn't it? When Paul says, separate yourself from them. Make sure that you don't get caught up with them. He says in Corinthians, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Right from the very beginning of the Bible... When Cain's sons were looking, uh, I mean, Cain, I mean, um, Seth's sons were looking at Cain's daughters and decided to intermarry with those. God looked and says, "Oh boy, this is a problem. This is a problem." And all the way through the Old Testament, you see this idea of maintaining some separation. Sanctify yourself, maintaining separation from the ungodly. And in, and in Corinthians, it says, you know, what fellowship is there light with darkness? What fellowship is there light with darkness? How can they both cohabit together? We're called to separate ourselves. No, we have to stay in the world. We have to keep preaching to the world. We have to keep loving the world. We have to keep on reaching out to the world to save them. But morally, we're meant to be separated from them. That's the tough stuff. So we have to stop looking for an easy way out and get strong. And I think probably that's what happens in our lives. We, 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 want, we want it to be easy to live this Christian life. In the early days, when you lived in, just after Jesus had died and risen and the we had the sacking of Jerusalem, probably about eighty seventy. In the early days of the church, it cost you something to live a Christian life. It cost you something. Like if they got you, they would ask you, who's Lord? And if you didn't say, Jesus is Lord, you said, Caesar is Lord, they'd let you go. But if you said, Jesus is Lord, he's my Lord and Savior, they'd ask you three times, that's all you'd get three times then they'd bypass the court system because at the confession of three times you'd be taken straight from there and you'd be part of the morning show being fed to the lions or burnt at the stake depending on whatever their their little fun game was going to be it cost you something and i sometimes think that we need to stop looking for an easy route in terms of our christianity and start deciding that we're going to have to toughen up we're going to have to be strong we're going to have to clothe ourselves with the strength that comes from jesus and get ready for a battle that's going to take our lives away from us going to take our freedom away from us our freedom to be what christian 
Christ wants us to be in our society will be curtailed by a, a godless society that will try and push us into a mold and say, you can't preach that, you can't speak that, you can't say that, you can't do that. You have to be there and shut up about that because we are secular. That's our belief. And you won't be allowed to express your belief. You can start, you can begin to express your belief, but you'll be held up and you'll be taken to court and you'll be called up for hate speech because you speak in the word of God and you're talking the truth. And they say, there is no truth. There's no truth at all. You know, it's whatever you want it to be. Your truth is not my truth. Stop being such an arrogant bigot. You're going to get all of that. And I think one of the things that Jesus wants you to understand is that you and I need to clothe ourselves with his strength in these last days. Now look at this, it says, in Matthew chapter 24. Now you, you understand and you read, or hi Luke, you read this and, and you think of this. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will the sign of your coming be at the end of the age? So he's talking about the end of time. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. And so we get that already. We got the deception happening like you wouldn't believe these days. You got uh, major with postmodernism. You got this whole denial that there is any truth or absolute truth, and that, that truth is as you want it to be, which is a major deception because you can make the word of God say whatever you'd like it to, be, to say, and that's the generation in which we live. It's it, it's it's quite an amazing idea, really, when you come to think of it, because there is nothing certain at all. And I say the the only absolute thing that we can really say to you is there is no absolute truth, which is a self contradictory argument if you think about it, because. If there are no absolutes, then there is the opportunity for absolute truth. Because if the only absolute is there is no absolute truth, you've just created an absolute. You, you, you want to think that one through. Exercise your mind. That's part of getting strong. Start to think about what you're reading and start to apply what you're reading and start to think about the word of God and how it should affect you. He says, then watch out. He says, because deceivers are going to come. He says, you're going to get wars and rumors. Don't get alarmed. He says, that's going to happen. Such things must take place, but the end is still not, still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pangs. That means that the pregnancy is fully established. And we are just beginning the travailing part. The agony is about to take place. Something is going to give birth, but we have to go through the pain of it. Then you will be handed over to, to be persecuted and put to death. And that's the promise. He promise you, promises you that you're going to be persecuted and that some of you are going to lose your lives. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Okay, Jesus is going to become the person who actually separates you from everybody else. And if you're a Jesus lover, that's going to bring hate towards you. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So you're going to turn on one another. When it really gets tough, you're going to turn on one another. And you're going to say, you know, 
I'm going to dob them in to save my skin. That's the sort of thing that Jesus said is going to take place. Many will turn away. So we think, oh, there's not as many people here in church today. You've got nothing. You, you see nothing to when it really comes out. We probably will go back to house meetings. We'll probably go back to meeting at my place. Seriously. If it really turned out really bad, you wouldn't want to be in a church like this because you don't know somebody might be there or coming along just to find out who you are and put their finger on you and then you'd want to be underground. You want to be talking with your friends and keeping it quiet. You wouldn't want to be Hillsong. And this Hillsong is way off the bat. And then that would, doesn't matter what they do because they'll get a lot away with it. But if you're preaching the truth, it's going to be different. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That means there's going to be a diminishing of a person's fervency for God. You think, okay, you know, we want to stay, you know, but, you know, after a little while, it's like, oh, why do we, you know, why don't we just slacken off a bit, you know? And the fervency for God starts to wane away, starts to drift away. And this is what I like, and I put it in bold print so you can read it with me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I like that. Because when I read that, what I hear is Jesus says, there will be those who stand firm to the end. Amen? Amen. Ah, Jesus, let it be us. In the name of Jesus, let us stand firm to the end. Let us be the ones who stand firm to the end. Let us be the ones who make a decision right now to be stronger, to be strong in times when it's difficult, to be standing for the truth, to know the truth, to understand the truth and to stand for the truth so that when these really difficult times come back and the sifting starts taking place, we are not moved with the sifting. We stand strong in the day of trouble. If it's not so hard now and you're weakening, What's it going to be like when they really turn up the heat? And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I I love that because it just tells me that no matter what is happening, no matter how bad the relentless evil is, God is in control. He is in control. So we stop looking for an easy way out and we get strong in the Lord and and fit for the journey. So I want you to write these three things down. I'm I'm not putting them up there. I'm telling you to write them down, so I'm not going to write them. You'll have to write them down. This is the first thing. This is going to require some discipline for you. Start believing the truth. Start exercising the truth. Start eating the truth, start arguing the truth, start defending the truth, start preaching the truth. Believe the truth. And some of you might have to say, what is true? Yes. Okay. The first thing, believe the truth. Exercise the truth. Argue the truth. Preach the truth. Learn the truth. 
Whatever is true, find it out. If you take what is truth, then that's a great question. If Gavin is sitting here and says, what is truth? And if he's engaging his head to find out what truth is, and I hope that he is, I hope he's engaging himself with this sermon and saying, what is truth? Who's telling me the truth? And if he engages himself with this thing and it gets into his head and he says, I want to know what the truth is. We have the making of a man of God. If he doesn't care about the truth, if he's not bothered about the truth, he will believe anybody, think anything anybody will tell him. He won't even question it. He will just suck it up. And you have to engage with the truth. That's the first thing. To be strong and fit for the journey, you must take both hands and engage with the truth. What is true? What is the truth? Not what do men say it is. What does God say the truth is? And how does that truth impact my life? And what does that truth require of me? Believing the truth. The second thing that you're going to have to do is set your eyes on the hereafter rather than the here and now. You have to set your eyes on the hereafter rather than the here and now. And it's simple, you know. If you get too focused on the here and now, you will begin to love this life and you will not be willing to lose your life. To be strong and fit for the journey, you must remember that your hope is somewhere else other than this life. And that it doesn't matter if you die and if are taken out of this life, there is something that you're going to keep your eyes on that. Rather than being fixed on the here and now. If you love the here and now, you'll lose your soul. If you love the hereafter, you'll give away your soul to gain it. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 tells us, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For, your li- for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now the third thing that you need to do to be strong and fit for the journey is you need to live in the love of God. You need to experience the love of God. You need to demonstrate the love of God. You need to possess the love of God. So much so that you are controlled by the love of God. You have to believe, you have to have hope, and you have to have love. You have to believe the truth. You have to have hope and expectation of what God is bringing to you at the end. And you have to live in love if you want to be strong and fit for the journey. Does the devil try every which way to 
knock you out on all of those points. He'll try and take your faith away. He'll try and take your hope away. He'll try and take your love away to sink you into an ocean of sin. And the Bible tells us these are the three that remain, faith, hope, and love. So to be strong and fit for the journey, work on those things. What does the Old Testament show us? You've been reading through the Old Testament, so I'm going to take some pictures from the Old Testament this week. In the face of relentless and persistent evil, who is in control? David mentioned Naaman. He mentioned Naaman, who was a, a Syrian soldier, and we read about him in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of the master and highly regarded because... Uh, through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He, God used Aram to punish Israel. And so he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now listen to what the next verse is. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl. So they'd kidnapped, abducted a kid, a girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So they'd taken her, and they said, here's a girl that we picked up on the highway. We nicked her from the Israelites. She's a little Israelite girl. Here, have a slave. Now, Naaman had leprosy. Here we have a little girl who had a choice. Now, you could have an attitude. You got leprosy. I know where you can get rid of that leprosy, but I'm not saying, you mongrel. I'm not telling you anything. Die in it. See you in hell. A young teenage girl. I mean, a teenage girl, just young. She says, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria... He would cure her. What does she maintain in a path of relentless evil? She's been abducted. She's been taken away from her mother and her father, from her brothers and her sisters, and she's put as a servant girl for a queen. Under the enemies, she's living under relentless evil. And what does she remember? She remembers who, who her God is and what her God can do. She has faith. She believes. She has hope because she knows there's hope in God. Even though she's away, there's hope in God and healing in God. And she says, God can heal you. And she communicates that because somehow she's full of love, not full of bitterness and envy and strife. In the face of relentless evil, we have a girl who's an adolescent not rebelling against and being nasty and spiteful. We have a girl who knows her God, who declares what God can do and gives it to her enemy. That's amazing. I just, I just, I, I'm amazed at that young girl. She's worthy of mention. Because in the face of relentless evil, she did not over, become overcome with the evil. She overcame evil with good. This is the lesson. <laughs> Who's in control? You know the story. Naaman had to take the advice of a teenage girl. Big strong man. Humble yourself. And take the advice of an abducted 
teenager. And then when he gets to Elisha, he's going to dip in the dirty water of the Jordan. And he gets really angry and one of his mates said, well, if he'd asked you to do something really mighty, wouldn't you have done it? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do the thing that he's asked you to do? Naaman says, okay. Because he got really cross. He got really cross. He was, he was angry. He, how dare he tell me to dip in a puddle when we have rivers, mighty rivers where I come from that are beautiful and clean. Why would I dip in the Brisbane River? But he did and God came through. God always is in control, you know. When you have faith, hope and love, he's always in control. In the face of relentless evil, he is always in control if you have faith in him. If you have hope in him. Second Kings chapter 6 says, Then the king of Aram is at war with Israel. So this is the same king that Naaman was working for. This is just a chapter later, so it could have even been Naaman in charge of this force. We don't know. The amazing thing about Naaman is once he'd been healed, he'd come back to, and he says, look, can you pray to your God? He says, your God will forgive me when I bow down and when I go home and I have to bow down. He says, there are no other gods than your God. He got converted. He says, and I, I just want you to pray and ask God to forgive me because I'm going to go back home. And he says, and I'm going to go back to my pagan temple. But when I, when I bow down in my pagan temple, my heart is bowing down to Jehovah. It's not bowing down to these filthy gods. Can you pray and ask him to forgive me for that because your God is the only God? Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? In the face of relentless evil, you can have some wonderful miracles taking place. You can have some marvelous stuff happening if you just have faith, if you just believe, if you just have hope, and if you just hang on and you just live in, in love. God can do some amazing things in the midst of relentless evil. So there's this king and he's at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he says, I will set up my camp in such and such a place and we're going to go and attack them. <laughs> Elisha's a sort of a... You don't want to mess with Elijah because he cheats. How many people here cheat? <laughs> Put your hand up high if you cheat. I want to see cheating. Okay, how many people know what I'm talking about when I say cheating? Oh, when you get in a, when you get in a test and, and you don't know the answer, you've got to cheat. And Jesus says, you know, I'll send you my Holy Spirit. He says, when you get in a fix, he says, just ask him and he'll tell you the answer. I cheat all the time. I ask Jesus. He tells me the answer. I'll be running along the street one day and I'll be doing something and I'll just say, oh, I'm praying for so-and-so. And he'll say, you know what? I'll tell you a little bit about that. And he'll tell me some information about that. But, oh, how did I know that? I cheated. I'm a cheater. Good on you. You got to cheat. I like to say I'm cheating. Because God got an edge and you can't find my notes. My notes are on the inside. Jesus is the one. It's in the book. But he says, you don't even have to worry about what you have to say when you get called up in front of people. He says, I will give you the words to say at that time. Don't even plan. You're going to cheat. You're going to get the answer given to you. It's going to be whispering in your ear. You just open your mouth and I will speak through you. 
Because it won't be you speaking, it'll be me speaking through you, he says. That's cheating as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I like that. I'm cheating with Jesus. He's giving me the answers. So anyway, this king was pretty frustrated because anyway, he went there to this particular place and, you know, the king of Israel had been told that's where he's going to be and he's got his armies there waiting for him. And he goes, how is this? Every time I go and take my armies in secret to go to a certain place, he's got his armies there facing me and I can't do anything. And another little voice says, oh, well, it's Elisha. He hears from God. He hears the things that you say in your bedroom and he's telling them to the king. So that's what's happening. So the king of Ram says, where does he live? And after he finds out where he lives, in the middle of the night, he takes his boys on a little journey to have a little visit. Elijah gets up in the morning. Whoa, it's an interesting setting. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early, the next morning an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant, in the face of relentless evil, what shall we do? Who is in control here? Imagine that, hey? Wake up in the morning, swing the curtains open wide, and here out there in front of you, the glistening of swords, the baying of uh, whatever, what bays? Ca- uh, um, horses, neighing or horses. Probably had camels out there as well, whatever they do. It would be the scariest thing you would ever actually see. That wouldn't be nice in the morning, would it? You know, you'd be sitting there saying, I think I need to go to the toilet. I'd be so frightened, you know. In the face of relentless evil you have to learn to see things differently Elijah says don't be afraid those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed open his eyes Lord so that he may see and then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha so there's a spiritual force of protection around him that he couldn't see. You know, when things are difficult and times are tough, we get lured into looking at what is before us. We fix our eyes on the things that are seen rather than the things that are unseen. The things that are seen, yes, they are temporal, but we get beguiled to believe because they are there in front of us, that must be the way it is, and that's the truth. Well, it isn't the truth. The truth is there is a force that is with you that is far greater than the force that is against you. And if you only have faith and believe the truth, set your eyes on the hope in front of you and live a life of love, you will have the force of God stand between you and the relentless evil that's coming at you. You will have God in you, the hope of glory. Standing in the face of evil and you will see with your eyes the glory of God. Protecting you. The amazing thing about the story was, Elisha was, the young man goes, oh, wow, look at that. And then they just start to come toward him and Elijah goes out, blind them. They're all blind now. The enemy is blind. Well, we know the enemy's blind. It can't see, can't see. 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're all blinded. Elijah says to him, come on, I, I, he, the, the guy you're looking for, he's here. I just lead us down there. They must have been seeing but not seeing. That's what I figured because, I don't know, there's an army and he's leading them and they're following him and they ta- he takes them to the center of Samaria. He says, now open their eyes. Whew. They're in the middle of the enemy's city. The force is surrounded by God's army now. And the king says, and this is the amazing thing, the king says, shall we hack them down now, Elijah? Well, Elijah's just full of love. He's full of God. He loves his enemies. He doesn't do what David does and hack them to nothing. He says, you have these men captive. They're prisoners of war. Feed them. And look after them. And so they lavished on them supplies. And they fed their enemy. And they loved their enemy. And they went out of their way to help their enemy. And their enemy went away and never came back again. Amazing. In the face of relentless evil, faith, hope, and love. And the, who's in control? Who's looking after the whole thing? It looks terrible from where I stand. It looks horrible. I think it's going to be terrible. But we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. In the face of relentless and persistent evil, who's in control? So Jesus shows us. You would have read Luke 22 and Luke 23 this week. So Luke 22 talks about the Passover. Jesus has come to the place and he's gone to Passover and Judas has gone out and he's going to actually betray Jesus. Jesus is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray three times that God, would you, if you please, could you please take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but he's going to get so heavy with the grief and the burden of actually having to be loaded down with your sin and my sin. And he's going to struggle with that in his humanity, but he's going to commit himself to God. He's going to commit himself and say, this is why I was born. This is why I came. And this I can, nevertheless, not my will, but I'm done. And they're going to come and they're going to take him away and they're going to nail him to the tree. And he's going to die. But what I want you to do, remember or think about at this point of time. In the face of relentless evil, you don't have to die or be killed. In fact, in grace, the sacrifice lives. In the law, the sacrifice died. The lamb was killed. And it died. But the perfect lamb... It didn't die. It was a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God. It's strung up on the tree. 
Jesus is strung on every evil is delivered to it. The wrath of God is visited upon Jesus. The devil is in harmony with the wrath of God and delivers blows against Jesus to destroy him. But he can't kill him because Jesus said, it is finished, he's still alive and it's done. In the face of relentless evil, you cannot be killed if you have Jesus in your spirit. They can kill your body, but they can't kill you. Jesus hangs on the tree. Everything that he was going to have to go through, he had gone through and he was still breathing. He wasn't dead. He said, it is finished. And then he looked up and says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he bowed down his head and he died. He gave up himself. You are stronger then you really understand when you have the living God living within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to buckle when things get bad. You don't have to tremble and shake when things look like it's going to be horrible and relentless evil is pushing on you. It doesn't matter how hard it pushes, it cannot kill you. You have the everlasting Christ within you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Do you hear me? You have strength today. You have strength to say no to sin. Everything that comes at you and pushes you and shoves you cannot kill you. And Paul says, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, stand up and be strong. Get ready and fit for the journey. You will not be killed. You cannot be killed. You might lose your body, but you cannot lose your soul. Because Jesus is with you. Amen. They can't. No man will snatch you out of my hand, he says. Look. Believe. Have hope. And love. You can afford to be strong. You have the unconquerable Christ within you. Amen. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. They didn't take it from him. They didn't kill him. He was stronger. In the face of relentless evil, he overcame. What are you calling for? Make it easy so I don't have to struggle lots? No. Change your prayer. Start praying. Give me boldness to stand in the end. Give me boldness to stand for the truth. Give me boldness to press on and believe and have hope in what you've promised me and let my life ooze your love to those who are lost. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are in control. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ.
Lord, we get so fearful when we look at the things around us and the devil puts ideas in our heads that there's something weak about Christianity and there's something weak about our lives. But Lord, there's nothing weak about you. There is nothing weak about you. So we decide, Lord, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Lord, that you would clothe us with that strength, oh God, that your truth, Jesus, would be our portion, that our hope would be in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and that our lives would, would ooze the love of Jesus and the love of God to everyone we meet. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.